You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 60. This is kind of an interesting episode. So, Tyler, I like a different varieties of poker. I like, you know, No Limit, High Low, some PLO. No Limit's by far my favorite. But you have hated PLO since the very beginning. And it looks like you're kind of going into the PLO streets a little bit, right? I don't even remember what got what got us talking about me playing PLO. But I've always hated um, PLO. I mean, and I was thinking about it at the table. What I hate about it and what always had annoyed me the most is just how long people tank for in that one reverse button. But this will be a spoiler, I guess. But when I was playing in the only PLO, the action moved much faster, and I didn't mind it nearly as much. Yeah, I can see that. It's a, if people do well, and a dealer mentioned this how he didn't think P, uh, people tanked that long in PLO and all that, and I think like you said, I think I guess it's because if those people play PLO all the time, there are like some quick decisions. But if you're a no limit player and don't have a good grasp of PLO, maybe you just have to tank for longer. Maybe I mean, definitely seems I'm mean, if you're not studied or I guess just out of practice. Um, so I guess. I'll start with my first session of this week. So I was going to go to Doghouse early, right? Okay. I wanted to go there around 5, but my sleep schedule was all messed up from work. I woke up at midnight. Oh, wow. This is where I really like that poker's taken off in Houston. Because used to, you didn't even know if a game was going. Now, normally is. You might have to drive a little bit further, but, I mean, it's always nice to be able to do that. In the middle of the night now. And I was looking and I was thinking like, well, I want to play PLO because we were talking about how it would be interesting to see if, how long it would take me to figure out PLO or if I even could. Yeah, it's a uh, good question and one that I kind of get multiple answers from as far as how PLO, like how long it takes. Well, the biggest problem I find with it is there's so much variance in PLO is just kind of knowing if you're a winning player. in the Because when you're running hot, it, you feel like a genius, and you feel like it's all you. When you're running cold, you feel like it's just a cold deck a lot. And it kind of, poker has a way to mess with your mind, and it's so hard to, uh, like, put the decisions in their own little thing. Not like, hey... If I, I mean, sometimes I'm going to make the right decision and lose. Sometimes I'm going to make the wrong decision and win. But to put them in their own little basket of, you know, if it's, if it's a, a good play in the long term. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, so I wake up at midnight. I'm like, oh gosh, where am I going to possibly play at this hour? And then I look at Doghouse. I see they have one PLO only table going with two people on the list. I was like, well, that's not great. Two people on the list at midnight. Seemed like the game will break before I even get on the tables, I was thinking. 
Well, if there's two people waiting, it seems like they would, even if people left, there'd be people filling in there, right? Yeah, I don't know. I just saw myself sitting there until 2 or 3 in the morning waiting. No, it's possible. So then I look on the Atlas and I see, well, 101 has, um, 101 Katie has a ton of games going on. I'll go there. So then I get in my car, open the garage door, put 101 Katie in my GPS. I said, you know what? I'm going to call Doghouse. It would be so nice just to go right there, you know, where I always go. So I call him and ask him, is there actually two people on the list at this time? And they said, no, they just left. And there's a seat open right now. Oh, how perfect. Oh, throw me on the list. I'm on the way. <laughs> yeah. Lock my seat up. So I show up and I bought in for 400 for the 1-3 PLO. And this table was actually one that was people were around 400, 500, 300. And there was a few people with like two or 3,000. But there was only like two people. The way majority had, you know, anywhere from three to 500. I kind of like that. Like, it seems like PLO just plays more deeper stacked on a- on average. Because in No Limit, you might have, like, one or two that are, like, at 1,000. And then you might have, like, two or three that are, like, at 50, 60 bucks sometimes. So I kind of, uh, it seems like it's a little bit deeper than what we're used to at the No Limit Hold'em tables, right? Well, I was thinking, actually, that that was a pretty shallow uh, game at that hour because normally the PLO game at that hour of the night at doghouse is an extremely deep game. Oh, wow. And I was worried about it buying it for 400. I was very happy to see that there was a lot of people around my same stack size. Well, that's nice. I say a lot of people I didn't recognize, like a lot of the, um, I'm sure I've seen them before, but just not the normal midnight PLO crowd. Okay. Well, very nice. Glad, uh, you could kind of sit down with a normal stack and not feel like, Completely like a fish out of water. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I sat down on the floor. He's like, "This is PLO only. It's PLO only." I was like, "I know." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Everybody knows Tyler hates PLO. What's he doing over there?" <laughs> yeah. So I um I buy in and I start playing um very tight. You know, just I think it's just kind of what you do naturally, right? I think the less you know the game. I think you're more inclined to play tighter. And not only that, I think you should play tighter. I think that's correct. So I was playing pretty tight. Um, I had a bomb pot where I had double suited aces and I flopped a flush draw on one, one of the like clubs. And then the other board was like an obvious straight. It was like Jack King queen. So like, well, and I had like a backdoor flush draw on that one. And then I turned my other flush draw on the top board. So I had any, um, it was like either any spade or any club on one board gave me the nuts as long as it didn't pair the board. And the other one, I just had aces on a board. I was clearly not going to win. Right. And I kind of kept the pot small. Um, River, the nuts on one board had not aces, basically nothing on the other board and bet like a hundred bucks, got called, chopped it one, like maybe 40 bucks each. Sounds about right. I mean, that's it. It sounds like that's kind of how like you really have to play that pot. Because I mean, you have nothing on the other board, and a lot of rivers you just literally have nothing. And since nobody's, it's really hard to get a fold in a double board bomb pot. PLO. I think that's a. I think you played it right. But I mean, that was my. <laughs> I don't want to say big hand, but that was like one of the first hands I played in the first like orbit and a half. 
Oh, wow. I mean, I was just not really getting anything really even playable. And then, um, let's see. Then, oh, then, I mean, basically the hand of the night. The session was so short because the game broke early. So, um, but here's the hand. I'm in the small blind. The button straddles for six. I get um, king, queen, ten, seven, double suited. Okay, this is a really good, a really good hand. Three Broadway cards, uh, double suited. They all work together. I mean, I'll just a great hand right here. Um, I I only call the six. Okay. Seems like everybody on the table calls the six. The button makes it um, fifteen. I call the fifteen. Basically, everyone on the table calls fifteen. Okay, I mean, like I, I think you can justify a raise or a call here. I think, I think both are fine. <laughs> you would raise um, the six or the fifteen. You would three bet. I think this is a hand you could. I think this is definitely a hand good enough to three bet, but being new beginner, I think it's probably a good call too. Because here's the thing: is it's easier to play from a call standpoint. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of no limit hold'em. The uh, from a calling standpoint, you're basically looking to just flop gold. Uh, if if you three bet it and you get a couple callers, well, especially there. You, I mean, really, you're just increasing increasing the variance a lot. That being said, I think on average where everybody plays ever, a ton of hands there, this is probably fine on both both ends. But I think I would probably lean towards a call too. If it was raised more, maybe. Maybe. I think, like I say, I think both are fine. Okay, so we see the flop though. And let me go over the hand again. King, queen, 10, 7, double suited. The flop comes jack of spades, Nine of diamonds, seven of clubs. Okay, so this is a really great flop. flop. Rainbow and you flop what it is. It sounds like a 10-out straight draw. Uh, four for the eight, three for the queen, and three for the king. Yep, and then I also have the pair of seven, which I don't think is that relevant, right? Yeah, not, not a real relevant. Oh, but you do have a backdoor uh, draw. Uh, spade draw, which that could be, that definitely helps too. Absolutely. So, um, I actually check it here. Okay. Um, it checks about twice. Then a guy bets 35. Another guy calls the 35. Then it's on me. I think a lot of people are going to go with a call. I don't think, Again, when the ranges, people's ranges are so wide, and this is such a strong draw, so you're probably going to, you have about 40% to hit. I think you could justify a raise here. Uh, I mean, you. I remember when you told me this earlier, I was like, I don't think a call's bad, and I don't think a raise is bad. I mean, you really can't mess this hand up. I mean, outside of folding, what, I mean, with this, you know, large of a nut draw, I think either is actually perfectly fine. So I actually pot it for all in for 300 and I think it was 65. Okay. Um, 
the guy behind me calls, the next guy calls, the original razor calls for less, another guy folds. Um, so we're all in now. There's two guys still with cards to come. Um, the turn is the deuce of spades, giving me that backdoor flush out. I mean, outside of hitting your draw, I mean, this or a seven are probably the two best cards in the deck, right? Seven would not be great. <laughs> well, I mean, it would make you uh, nine outs to a boat. Right. <laughs> well, I guess afterward knowing that that guy had a set of nines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's a. Uh, the the listener doesn't know that yet. It's uh But yeah, for this this card, I mean, I would think like the. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great card for you, giving me the you, giving you the second nut flush. And considering there was no front door flush draw on the flop, it's a little. It's less likely somebody has the ace high of spade draw. Absolutely, and the river is the eight of hearts, just bailing me out. Oh, wow. Giving you the absolute snow cold nuts. One guy turns over um, queen eight for the flop nuts. The other guy turned over. You mean eight ten. Sorry. What did I say? Eight. Queen yeah, eight. Eight ten. Sorry. And um, the other guy turned over pocket nines and the third player didn't show. And I end up scooping. So you're actually <laughs> drawing pretty slim here. Because someone has your eight for the straight draw, and then any, basically anything that pairs the board, basically dr- puts you dead on the turn. But I mean, you still have a, you have still have really good odds, and it, you were getting such good odds from everybody calling that this is a great move. Like regardless of what happened in the end, win or loss, this was just a great hand for you. <laughs> right, and um. Like I said, always nice when it works out when all the money's in. So. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, Pot Limit Omaha. Don't get me wrong. I'm not as practiced in Pot Limit Omaha as I am Hold'em. But I mean, I do know it's a draw-heavy game. So it's a, uh, it's nice. You're gonna have a lot of draws where they somebody else either hits them, or you miss them. So glad this on this one. You especially just coming in kind of new to the game, you were able to nail that draw and for a pretty decent profit. I had one other interesting hand which I was going to ask you about. Okay. I had pocket queens with like um, kind of junky cards like 7-5 or something. But it was single suited. Okay. Um, we I raised this preflop actually to like 15. And um, we see it four ways. The flop comes queen high, but all clubs, and I don't have a club in my hand. But it was a very straight board. Like it was queen, nine, eight, maybe. Okay. And um, I actually checked this one. What do you think about that? I think this is fine. I like to check here because it's very likely you don't have the best hand. It's super likely. You almost never have the best hand here. Uh, and here's the th- problem. If you bet here and you get re-raised, now you just kind of have to fold this hand. Now if someone pots it and you get a call or two, actually, really, even if somebody pots it and without a call, you definitely can call here just drawing. I mean, knowing you're not good, 
but drawing to a boat. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what happened? It checked around, actually. Okay. The turn is like another straight card. It was like a, um, a seven. So I was like, well, this is just, I mean, someone has a straight, obviously. Yeah. Most likely. Um, and it checks around again. And then the river um, pairs the nine. So I have queens full of nines. So now you just pot it. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, I potted it, everyone folded, but you think that's fine? I think it's fine. I, I don't think you have to pot it here. I mean, I think you could bet half to 75% pot, especially when nobody's shown that much strength. But, I mean, it also looks like you could kind of be stealing maybe i mean uh, probably probably at a 75 percent pot would, might be better but i have to the way this is played out and with everybody folding the way there i think it's probably just every i think nobody had anything and you were just probably going to take this down no matter what yeah that was one that was kind of um eating on me a little bit was that because i was like maybe potting it there on the river is just a bad move yeah, I mean that was my first. It was my first instinct to pot it there too. After us talking about it, I think maybe seventy five percent might be better. But that being said, like it seems like nobody had much, and you're just taking that down regardless. So here's something that's kind of it. So I ended up actually winning like eight hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, very nice. Especially nice for uh, the beginner PLO session. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've been kind of debating doing a poker vlog, and I, and we were talking about actually doing a PLO vlog. Well, we had thought about that. Well, and we've we've always liked watching a lot of the vlogs and been a fan of the vloggers. So, and obviously, when you do that, you kind of have the tendency, to, I think, to think about what it'd be like to do your own. And I, uh, I like the idea of the PLO vlog because there's not many out there. I don't think there's as many people interested in PLO. Uh, so I think you're like the not as big of a market, but the uh, market's also not saturated with vlogs. So I think, you know, the market versus how many videos are out there might be better than No Limit. Absolutely. Um, no, for sure. Because, like, when you pull up Poker Vlog, I mean, just tons and tons of people are starting, it seems like every week, right? Yeah, I mean, and then you have to, you know, if you're watching vlogs, well, you're already a fan of Nimi. So if he puts one out, you're, you know, you're going to watch that. Well, you're, if you're a fan of him, Brad Owen, Jamin, Mariano, uh, you know, and just goes on and on. So, like, and then there's all the people starting their own new ones as well. So it's kind of hard to stand out when, you know, everybody only has so much time in their day. So they're only going to devote so much time to watching vlogs. But I thought it would be a very interesting um, vlog would be going from Hold'em to PLO as basically a completely a complete newbie in PLO. I think that's kind of an interesting aspect, too. I mean, going, especially coming from, so a winning No Limit Hold'em player, and then, but going to PLO as a complete noob, and just seeing kind of, the progression, the learning, because sometimes learning from people who know it the best isn't always the greatest. Because 
if someone's PL, uh, you know, 15 years in, and the PLO's all they've done, and they might be a great winning player, but also certain concepts are so foreign to, foreign to them. Like, I mean, everything is so easy that they tend to, like, jump ahead, like, and not explain it as well as someone who's kind of going through it, you know, street by street, hand by hand, and all that. Because I've, I'll tell you what, like, a lot of the PLO is, the training is kind of hit and miss. Well, that's like when you, even when you started for Hold'em, you can find some very good players coaching, but some of them are coaching for 10, 20, 50 or you know, the highest stakes possible against the best players in the world. It's a little different than playing at the one, two game when everyone's drinking and dancing and singing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, this has been like, like I say, you, my, one of my, probably my favorite book I've read. I think it's so underrated. was the course and by Ed Miller. And it went by like, you know, one, two, one, three, and then two, five, and then like five, five, ten, and above. Cause things that work, even if you're a, better player some things that work at five five two five are not going to work at one three i mean at two five five ten sometimes a bluff makes perfect sense to you know on the river because of the run out and everything else well if you're at one three and that player is going to hold on to top pair like it's the absolute nuts and it's never folding does not make sense at that point right no absolutely um, yeah, I mean, you're talking to the guy who's seen it way too many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been kind of, it's very, it interests me, um, to kind of me- mess around with the idea. Not saying there's even going to be a vlog that gets posted, but there's been video recorded at least. Yeah, you have done video recording. And I would say, I thought for someone who was just starting out, the video editing, pretty damn good, too. I, I mean, I've, I've seen some other video editing where I was like, oh, God, this is a, you know, not great. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Like, it's their first vlogs. I'm not being hypercritical. Just saying, I think yours was above average for just kind of, like, playing with it. Well, here's the real secret, though, is I've tried before. Remember, I had posted videos before. I mean, they were way worse than this one. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But uh, like I say, but that being said, still impressive. Uh, like I thought the clips in there were good. I I was pretty shocked at what you were able to do in such a short time. All right. Well, but here's the big issue with it, right? Is the vloggers play for hours and hours to make a ten minute vlog. I played for two hours. I played one interesting hand. Well, I mean, what am I gonna? Am I gonna? Should I post my? a weekly vlog where I post the one hand of each session that's defining. Well, here's a big difference on the vast majority of vloggers. They actually do it for a living. Like Johnny vibes, Brad Owen, Andrew Nimi, uh, Mariano might, who knows? I, I hope he's doing it for a living. He's gone from like one, three to like 50, a hundred. So, uh, I mean, it's gotta be close. <laughs> Uh, Rampage, that's all he does. So, we have regular jobs. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jamin does too. And then the other half that do have other jobs, they seem to be single all the time. I mean, it's like, 
I don't know of any married. The only one I do know who was married was Ben Deach, and he's not anymore. I mean, trust me. I've learned the hard way. Poker can be hard on relationships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a... Uh, but, yeah, it was a... Because... Uh, I don't, I don't know. It depends on the time invested. Because I remember when we were talking to Jamin and all that, and a couple of them, I kept hearing about an hour for every minute of the vlog. But I have talked to others. Like, Ben Deach says that it's not near as much. So I'm thinking maybe it's an hour for every minute if you're doing videos like Jamin, Andrew Nimi does some really good shots, Johnny Vibes. But, like, like Brad Owen is not like super oh yeah he's right into the hands I mean it's hands and it's rapid fire yeah so if it's like Brad Owen Ben Deach where it's just mostly the hands not a ton of editing maybe it's not as much because that's to me that's the big the big deal would be the time invested into it and if it's worth it for that for that amount right well I mean, this is definitely something that you would start and you're not doing it for the money. Kind of like this podcast. Yeah, very true. I think it's something you have to enjoy the process of. And then if you really enjoy it, then, you know, that's what makes it worth it. Absolutely. But it'll be interesting to see how this PLO even works out, even if there is no vlog. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. I mean, my bank, my PLO bankroll is very small, which... You know, leads to going broke. Yeah, I have heard about PLO, and it's one thing I've heard. It's that you need a bigger than small bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad your first session went out good. Went good. I'm very curious what happens during an extended downswing with a small bankroll, though. <laughs> I mean, not much. I mean, there's just no PLO. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that was a yeah, that's a pretty cool experiment. That's gonna we're gonna see. Um, did you play any sessions? Uh, yeah, I did play one. I played a tournament. Like I had the feeling that I just wanted to do a tournament, but uh, tournament. So I go. I haven't been doing a whole lot of them. I kind of feel kind of like it's a waste because if I'm gonna be at the table, I think. The cash game is just a much better hourly. But every now and then, you just need to mix it up. And you know, that's kind of how I was feeling this night on a Friday. I go there, and it's a $140 buy-in. Uh, not the worst, right? I mean, it's like a 140 with a $30 admin. Not the worst, not the best. Probably about average for what that is. Uh, the one thing I did really like about it was it was a freeze-out. I just the freeze out tournaments are so much better in my opinion. I go in there and kind of start off slow. I end up getting into a gigantic hand though. I've already won a couple big ones. I have ace four suited comes across and and I do flop an ace. I raise I get called. Uh, flop an ace. I lead out for the ace. It's a there's a I think it's ace four six uh, four six of spades. I have ace four of hearts. I get re raised. Now I believe my raise was eight thousand into the pot. 
I don't remember exactly what the pot is. Let's just say 16 to 20. Let's say just say 20 is about right. Would I get raised to 16? It's a min raise. And I did have a backdoor flush draw too. Uh, I decide it's just too weak to fold here to go ahead and call. The uh, the turn gives me a gutter to a straight draw. I now check, and then he bets 16. Well, I consider folding here, but it's 32 in the pot on the flop. Let's say I think there was... 20 maybe 20,000 in the pot before so 16 to win about 65,000 20 32 52 and 16 58 68 so 16 to win 68 and I've got an ace with a fly, with a uh, gutter ball I I did not love it, but I figured with the odds it was just a good call. I make the call and then drill the gutter straight. Oh, man. I'm sure you almost fell out of your chair. Yeah. I have got, and I've got quite a bit. I think I've quite a bit over pot now, and I just jam it all in. I was like, "There's this guy has shown nothing but strength. Now, the board looks like a horde run out for every card. But this seems like a guy who's going to get very frustrated that he had the best hand and not want to let it go. Because now the board is literally 5, 6, 7, 8 ace. So, I mean, there's a ton of two pairs, ton of straights. But, I mean, I really want to put it on that I am just bullying this guy and that I don't think he's got the stones to call. <laughs> really, that, that's the opposite of what I want, but that's kind of what I was going for. Uh, he tanks forever and calls and shows ace-king. And just erupts. I mean, this guy made no bones about what he thought of my play. And <laughs> Trey said it was solid, right? <laughs> yeah, he was like, solid play. He's like, you should have known. I was like, well, it was tiny bets into the pot. And of course, there's really no response to that because they were. But it was still him yelling a lot. Yeah. He wasn't slowing down, I'll tell you what. Lack of arguments was not slowing this guy down. <laughs> Uh, so I win that pot and that puts me as pretty decent. After that pot, I was probably in the chip lead. The guy to my right also was pretty well stacked. It eventually goes down to one table. Well, I, as blinds go up, I also make a horrid bluff where I believe, I mean, I triple barreled and got snap called. It was a, uh, it was... Just awful, awful, awful bluff. So there went wet a lot of my pot. Uh, awful because he called or awful because the bluff was bad? Awful probably because he just, he never looked like he was coming off of what he had. Yet I kept continuing. Because I think, I mean, I definitely had, I think I flopped open-ended. And bet, bet the turn. And... I think the turn was like an over card. So I was like, well, this is a good barrel card too. And then the river. I mean, you want to talk about a no thought snap call. I mean, so yeah, that was a horrible bluff gone, gone awry. Uh, well, we get down to five. We end up 
just all kinds of weirdness happens at low limit tournaments. So it pays four. We're down to five, and everybody's like, let's pay the bubble. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm not, I mean, I was very in the lead, but I'm not going to be the one dick who uh, says no. So I'm like, that's fine. How about we take 50 off of first, 50 off the second? First is 1,000. Uh, second was like 800 or something. And they're like, no, let's recalculate it. I didn't love this. I I, I don't know what... It, every, everybody acted like they'd played tournaments before. I knew this was going to shift a whole lot. But again, everybody was trying, was on agreement of this. So they recalculate it for five people with a prize pool. I don't love it when they come back and it's 163 for four for fifth that was getting nothing. Well, first has now gone to 850. Second has now gone to 600. But I'd already kind of agreed, so I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, well, we get whittled down even more. Well, and then everybody's like, well, let's go ahead and look at a chop. I'm like, we just did. I'm like, it is such a flat payout now that I feel like we probably need to play at this point. But we play, and I really thought someone would just get knocked out, even if it was me, that it was pretty... Uh, the blinds are so high. We play probably an hour and nobody gets knocked out. Just all the all-ins survive. There is a guy who's a pretty big chip lead. Everybody else is kind of fighting. And then they want to do ICM chop several times. And finally, when they said like that that last time, I was like, okay. I mean, at this point, I just got to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I work 18 hours the next day. Did not think it was going to last this long. So finally, I'm like, okay, let's look at ICM Chop. I don't, I'm hoping everybody who listens to this podcast knows poker well enough. And ICM Chop takes the prize pool into account, the placing in the, of the money, and then does the payouts based on the chips that you have. There are two things that can never happen in an ICM chop. Very easy math. You can the last place person can never get less than last place money because it can be never guaranteed that that person is going to get last place. The other thing that can never happen is first place can never get more than first place money because no matter how many chips that person has. He doesn't have all of them, and that's what it takes to get first place. These are, this is not crazy terminology. I'm not, you know, reinventing the wheel here. This is something that everybody knows. They come back with an ICM chop that gives first place 1050 when first place is actually $850. <laughs> I argue that this is cannot be right that this is no way of course first place which i granted i don't think he was trying to angle he seemed like he was genuinely you know believed this but argues well i've got a lot more chips than y'all he's like so that's how it goes i'm like does not matter on this and i try to i try to explain this nobody else seems to have an issue with this either i am annoyed that the floor came to came to us with something that is very obviously wrong and is not doing anything to correct it after I've 
stated that it, there's no way this can actually happen. And none of the players seem to know any better either. I mean, I'm and getting no backup here uh, on this. So I disagree for a while. Eventually, the uh, first place says, I'll take off 200 off my place. And everybody gets 50. At that point, it evened it out enough that I believed that it was just worth it. And like I said, I had to go to bed. <laughs> but uh, so eventually, but I was so annoyed that the floor would come up with something that is so obviously wrong. How can you be at your job and not know this? You do this, you know, five days a week for 40 hours. How can people be running poker rooms and not knowing this? Oh, boy. I mean, I guess I just, obviously they just divided the chips, right, in the prize pool. They didn't take into account the equity that players have for first and second, right? That I think that's probably what, I mean, I don't know. It either was like a chip chop. Or they just, yeah, put the price pool in yeah. and just did that with the chips. Because, like... They probably just added up all the chips were in play, counted up first places, the percent of the prize pool and the percent of chips he had, right? That has to be it. I mean, yeah. that, that wouldn't make the most sense on how you would get that. That's not what an ICM chop is, but that has to be what they did. Right, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, and ICM calculators are on all sorts of poker apps. Yeah, I was trying to uh, get on mine and check it, but of course, you know, everybody was. I mean, I the this is the floor's job because obviously, like you can't go to me as someone who's biased. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> even if I'm doing this out of what's right. I mean, because you're not a huge tournament player and. and you would realize that this is way off, right? Well, we talked about it. Yeah, I knew ahead of time. Yeah, yeah it's... So, I mean, this is very stand... I mean, this is not like... If you're not in $1,500 tournaments or something, you're not going to know. This is very standard. And I was pretty annoyed about that whole situation that they didn't know better. And one of the reasons, right? Because like you said, when the blinds get that big, anybody can win. Which is why you have to take into account that it, nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, it's a, well, yeah, exactly. It's a, uh, well, and that was the guy that's like, the guy's like, well, I have the table covered, which I think was possibly true. It was either true or close to true. But also, me at being small stack, I was two double ups from having him, you know, from actually having him covered or having, or I think actually beating beating him. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a very, I was very annoyed that like somebody, that they came up with that and somebody does not know their job enough that they came up with something like that. So that's, and I'm not going to call out any room. I'm not going to call out the people, but you just need to watch out for who you're playing with. Cause I mean that if they're making that as a decision, what happens when they make a wrong decision in a four, $5,000 pot, which I've seen happen there. I mean, I've never seen a wrong decision that I know of, but I've seen pots that big and if that same person's making those decisions. That's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but to put a conclusion on it, though, how did you end up doing in the tournament? Uh, ended up profiting like $250. So that was, I was pretty happy with that. It's a, I don't, like I say, when I'm doing those, I don't think the tournaments are that profitable. I have been very profitable in tournaments, but I think that's more due to variance than actually 
I'm just killing it because I don't think the rake is high enough to, in these tournaments. I'm not sure they're beatable at the rate that I have, but it's a. Uh, but I was very glad to have a winning session and to be able to pull something out like that. So that was uh, wasn't first place money, but you know two two fifty. I'm not gonna sneeze at. That's nice. I mean, any. I mean, like you always say, if you can guarantee two fifty every day, you would do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I can average that every single day. I'll be a tournament playing fool. <laughs> well, on that note, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time, and we'll see you next week.